Welcome to Dr. What? Dr. Where? Stories of Rural Medicine. It's the podcast exploring what it's like to further your training and practice medicine in regional Victoria. From routine procedures to responding to emergencies, anaesthesia is an essential part of patient care. In this episode, we're going to look at what rural anaesthesia is like from the perspective of specialists who live and work in regional and remote communities. We're also going to hear from a Gippsland-based GP anaesthetist, which is another career pathway in this space where doctors can become a GP and study anaesthesia as a subspecialty. But we're not just going to look at training and practicing. The perks of rural medicine extend beyond the hospital. I think people don't realise how nice life is regionally and how different it is. I think people are maybe missing a trick by not even considering coming regionally. That's Dr Alison Walker, the Director of Anaesthetics and Intensive Care at Mildura Base Hospital. Like any other country town, there are aspects to life here which just aren't possible in a metropolitan centre. When I first came here, my my best friend from university is a GP and she's actually married to an anaesthetist who works in Melbourne and when we first came here we stayed with them and he I reckon spent you know an hour and a half to two hours of his day in the car driving between different jobs and getting private work and public work and you know I get in my car and I'm at work in five minutes and I'm also home in five minutes I can actually go home for lunch every now and again and that just makes your life better quality of life wise. Mildura is a long way from the next ICU and even further to Melbourne. This can be challenging, but there's also opportunity here for innovative approaches to healthcare. We're 550 kilometres from Melbourne. So because of that, we have to be a bit self-sufficient up here. So there's a lot of trauma comes in here, but it's about 400 k's to the next ICU. Uh, so we have a really good ICU here. We've just gone from five to eight beds, for example, because we've got that demand. We see a lot of variety of stuff. We're busy. It's interesting. As a specialist in East, I have the chance to work both publicly and privately up here, which is nice to do both. In terms of intensive care, we've had a project running here using telehealth down to the Alfred, which allows us to keep uh, a lot of our patients locally rather than sending them to Melbourne. That's been really successful. We've probably stopped something in the region of 60 patients having to go to Melbourne for tertiary uh, ICU because they can have that same care here with the tertiary ICU oversight. So I think it's very interesting and there's opportunities to be innovative up here because it isn't all just on your doorstep. You know, you have to think around the, out of the square and, and come up with different ideas. This environment must give you a greater opportunity if you're a regional doctor to, to get across a lot of different kind of hands-on situations that you might not get to in Melbourne. Sure. I mean, you know, we cover a busy ED where they've got, you know, 29,000 presentations a year. There's a lot of motorsports up here and a lot of water sports, high impact water sports. We saw a lot of trauma up here. Variety is something that's good to have in your career. I can't imagine anything more boring than anesthetizing the same list over and over and over again for the rest of my life. But that's not the life I have. I, you know, uh, just the other night I was in with a 
a child who had to fly to Melbourne, so you have to get a person ready to transfer, or it could be a multi-trauma, or it could be an ICU patient, or it could be an obstetric emergency, or it, it really it keeps you on your toes and keeps you interested and mentally stimulated because you're dealing with all different things. And that wide range of healthcare you've got to provide must mean that you've got to be more of a generalist here? Yeah, you do. I mean, what they say about specialists is that you know more and more about less and less. So as you go through your career, your scope of practice gets narrower. Well, if you come regionally, that's not the case because you have to be able to turn your hand to anything that walks through the door. And you can't just send it down the road to the specialist hospital to deal with, you know, because there is no specialist hospital to deal with it. So you have to you have to keep your skills up to date. And I think we're a very supportive department. You know, if something comes in and it's difficult or one of our anaesthetists isn't sure, then we'll phone one another and we'll support one another, come in and help one another at the drop of a hat. And it's more that collegiate, almost family atmosphere that we have in the department. We all get on well together and we all recognise that, you know, there's four of us up here. We need to help each other out and support each other, uh, especially if something difficult or unusual comes in. And going more broadly, there were cases that were particularly complex or anything like that. What's the level of support from the tertiary care centres and people in Melbourne like? So, I mean, that's really what my telehealth project is all about. That, you know, we're pretty sure that we're doing the right thing and giving good care, but we're very isolated. You know, we're professionally isolated and we're geographically isolated. And so it's, you feel uneasy that maybe you're not up with the latest thing, but, you know, so we can, you know, telehealth into these, the Alfred ICU doctors and they look at our patients, look at our results tell us what they think, we have a collegiate chat about it, we come up with a plan. Very often the plan's the plan we had made, but they confirm that we're on the right track. And and that can only help the patients. That can only be good outcomes for the patients, you know. A lot of our patients up here, we have the second highest Aboriginal population in uh, Victoria. Uh, So there are some cultural considerations about air travel and staying close to country. And so if we can facilitate our patients staying here and getting the same level of care that they would get in Melbourne or a tertiary centre, then that can only be good for everybody. Is there any advice you would give someone looking at becoming an anaesthetist, perhaps uh, becoming a, a rural specialist in this field? Yeah, look, I think that it's very easy to become very narrow focused you know, and think, I must just get a job in a tertiary centre, I must do this, I must do that. And I think what some people do when they're younger is they don't really consider where they might want to be when they're older. A good thing I would say to do is imagine that, you know, 20 years from now you've got a couple of kids and partner and, you know, where do you want to be? Do you want to be in your car two hours a day? Or do you want to be somewhere where you will be appreciated, where people will be pleased that you are here, delighted, you know, delighted that you have chosen to practice in a rural facility? I think that sometimes you can have a very short-term view. I think it's better to have a medium-term view. And I think you should try everything. Don't get too narrow too quickly. You know, maybe rural practice isn't for you, but you won't know it until you try it. 
So at least give it a go, even if it's just for six months. Say, right, well, maybe I could go and work for Alison for six months. I'd get some good general experience. I would, you know, be able to see whether that's what I want to do. Don't discount it until you've tried it. The other thing you can do, apart from in, under specialist anaesthetists, is there's also GP anaesthetists. So if you're not sure whether really you want to go down the specialist pathway, there's a number of subspecialties within GP that you can do. We train GP anaesthetists here. We've done it for eight years. Most of them continue to work for us in some capacity or have gone out and uh, into practice in rural and remote areas. And they really are the mainstay of treatment very often in rural and remote areas. I mean, Mildura's quite lucky to have four specialist anaesthetists here. A lot of places of a similar size will have mainly GP anaesthetists and they provide a really vital service. Um, so again, that's another way that you can think about maybe if you fancy anaesthetics but you're not sure you want to do it full time, you're not sure you want to do um, specialist training, you could think about looking at the JCCA GP anaesthetist pathway. That's a, you know a year full time and then a supported year after that. As Dr. Walker just explained, anaesthesia isn't just confined to a standalone specialist pathway. Doctors can become an advanced skills GP or rural generalist and add in anaesthesia as a subspecialty. Dr. Hilary von Moltzahn has recently begun working as a GP anaesthetist in Wonthaggi in South Gippsland. She studied in Adelaide and has always wanted to practice somewhere in regional Australia, so she did as much of her training as she could in regional areas. She says these experiences made her want to practice regionally even more. I'm not too sure when I decided to do anaesthetics. I really enjoyed it. I had some experience in Broken Hill as a student. And after that, I kind of thought that I wanted to do everything. I wanted to be a surgeon plus an anaesthetist plus an emergency physician plus work as a GP, seeing people and seeing multiple generations of families and how they grow up and helping everyone and I've since realised that I can't do that. <laughs> Some people maybe can, I'm not too sure, but um, it's not for me, I have to choose one. I really enjoyed emergency medicine, but I found it was too brief that you don't really know who it is that you're talking to. Um, sometimes you see people more than once, but most of the time you don't. Um, I wanted more connection than that, but I wanted those skills and the practical procedures the hands-on activities, the management of super sick patients and anaesthetics is a, a bit of a mix. I got some experience as a student, I got some experience as a junior doctor, really tried to seek out all the placements that I could and realised that I really liked all the practical components. I really liked the intellectual nature of the day-to-day -day work and um, it was quite rewarding and it mixes well I think with GP work because GP work is often very emotionally taxing. People are telling you a lot of stories and information that can be difficult to manage as a human being. And anaesthetics, there's people don't talk to you. <laughs> They're <laughs> asleep. But it's really good because you get a lot of enjoyment in other ways. You're putting needles in different places. You're intubating people. Um, you're using your range of medications that you don't otherwise use. Have you found there's more employment opportunities for GP anaesthetists regionally? Oh, they're desperate. Yeah. You can pretty much choose what state you want to go to, what town you want to go to, and they'll welcome you with open arms. Not everywhere. Some places have 
plenty of staff at the moment. And when I was looking, I was kind of looking in a narrow area because of my um, social situation. And it only took a Facebook post saying that they're looking for staff here and all I did was call her up um, in person and say, hey, I could... I could do that job, um, will you take me on? And um, I started here when I came back from holiday. <laughs> do you find that there are some challenges that are unique to being a GP anaesthetist in a rural setting? Oh, I think there definitely are. I think one of the main things is the isolation and the lack of a tertiary hospital surrounding you. When I was in training, I did my training in Melbourne for anaesthetics. So most people do their training in a major centre, say Ballarat, Shepparton, where else, Aubrey Wodonga, those sorts of large towns. I did mine at the Western Hospital in Melbourne and that obviously is very different to a country hospital. One example is that we had a very serious case and at the end of the anaesthetic we were doing chest compressions, doing advanced life support to keep this person alive and because you're in a major tertiary centre we could just phone up the ICU and consultant. They could come down with the echo machine. They were looking at the person's heart while we're doing chest compressions. To get that sort of support here, it would be two hours away and it wouldn't happen, which is why we have the limitations on the cases that we accept and the people that we accept to stay and have their procedures done here. But if someone came in from a car accident in the local roads and they were extremely unwell and we need to give them anaesthetic in some way or form or intubate them because they couldn't breathe for themselves then it was just us and obviously you'd support you get your peer support um, you have a network all the staff support each other and everyone looks after each other but you don't have your local intensive care physician with their echo machine to come and and give a hand um, you've just got the resources that you have and so it's a particular skill that you have to develop working in a low-resource environment. I mean, here compared to somewhere like Africa, obviously, this is a high-resource environment, but compared to a tertiary centre or a major city, it's, it's less. And there's definitely always going to be challenges based on that. The other thing would be personal, social. If you're leaving your family, if you have a partner with a job somewhere else, if you're having to move around more often, that sort of thing, then obviously that has a personal toll. But most of the time, country towns are beautiful and there's so many fun things to do if you're into them that uh, it's, well, for me, it's more enjoyable to live in this sort of environment. If you're looking at becoming a GP anaesthetist, what's one piece of advice you'd give someone in that position? Sure, one piece of advice. Oh, if you have more. <laughs> 20. It would, be, it would be gain experience. Open yourself to opportunities. Consider things that you maybe didn't, consider first up um, because often you can get really good experiences in, in places that you don't expect it. It's also practice and learn and absorb information from the skilled and knowledgeable people around you and don't stick too hard to what you think you want to do. If something new comes up that's really cool, give it a shot. Dr. Von Moltzahn highlighted some limitations anaesthetists have when working in smaller health services. Wonthaggy's hospital relies on a group of GP anaesthetists for all the procedures that can be done here. 
Recently, Bass Coast Health appointed a consultant anaesthetist, Dr. Parani Buttery. She says there's a wealth of experience within the GP anaesthetist group at the hospital, but having the additional consultant level oversight helps address some of the risks at play when treating patients. Not only that, it also helps treat patients locally, which can ease the burden on patient travel and other complications when traveling for healthcare. I was brought here to Bass Coast to help establish a more formalized anesthetic service based around our GP anesthetists and to improve the capability of the hospital and also the capability of our GP anesthetists and support their career and their development. So you would be the person that a GP anaesthetist would call up for a consultation if they need some extra advice on patient care? Absolutely. I generally encourage them to talk amongst themselves as well because there's a variety of experience amongst our GP anaesthetist group. Some of our group are very, very experienced having given anaesthetics here for 30 odd years. Others are newer and sometimes it's easy to answer that question within group. However, there are a few patients that need a consultant anaesthetist to give an opinion about, especially about the resources required to care for very, very sick patients. Operating in a regional environment for GP anaesthetists, uh, there must be a lot of risks involved with that. There are risks, as with any anaesthetic, there are always risks. And I think the risk for the GP anaesthetist is how sick the population is and how sometimes people don't appreciate how sick they are. So actually the GP anaesthetist comes under considerable pressure. They're pretty good in that they know what their limits are. It's not just the person though, it's the facility they're working within. And usually GP anaesthetists work in a small rural facility. So there are physical and personnel limitations to what they can and cannot do. Have you seen a change in attitude towards anaesthetics in a regional environment since you've started working in this space? I think I have. And I think the, the really good thing is that the GP anaesthetists feel a bit more supported, that there is a consultant available to them. But more importantly, we've got some processes established that help them screen for risk and also optimise patient illness so that the patient is as fit as they can be when they come up to elective surgery. Is there more of a demand for this sort of health service in a regional environment? Absolutely, I, th I think there is. So we operate um, what is called a perioperative type of service. That means we pick up the patient when they've been listed for surgery. We don't necessarily give them a date yet, but we then have a look. The GP anaesthetist screens them for illnesses screens them for any illness that we can actually make better and that reduces the risk to the patient in the operative and post-operative period. But we also pick up social supports that might be needed. We might pick up that the patient is having a hip operation but they live at home. So we then put in some social supports to make sure the surgery is a success. So at the end of the day, our service is focused on patient outcomes a positive outcome from the surgery that is successful and the patient can get back to life. Yeah, so the patient outcome would be far better when they're having a surgery sort of closer to home rather than travelling all the way to Melbourne. Oh, absolutely. There is no doubt about that. There is a small amount of evidence that points to that 
and uh, patients certainly have a much more positive attitude. Can I talk about a couple of examples? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we picked up a lady who had a significant risk of chronic pain because we were going to operate on a limb. She had a history of chronic complex pain in that limb. And um, there is a risk of reactivating that and causing her longer-term problems. However, the patient was really well motivated. The GP anaesthetist had actually spoken to the patient at length about the anaesthetic plan and the post-operative pain relief plan. And we put in place a specific physiotherapy and nursing plan that engaged the patient. And the patient had a really, really good result and engaged really well with her rehab. And in fact, we got a bit of kudos from from public feedback about a very positive patient experience. In another example, one of our GPs picked up a patient with quite severe, life-threatening obstructive sleep apnea. And he was really sick. And he couldn't have had his simple general surgery at Bass Coast Health without that treatment. So again, the GP anaesthetist, because he understood the anaesthetic implications of obstructive sleep apnea, he was able to discuss this problem with the patient from a surgery and anaesthetic point of view. The patient hopped on board really quickly with treatment. He brought him back eight weeks later and I was actually in the operating theatre with the patient. The patient said, I'm really, really glad I had treatment because I feel alive again. And this is before he went off to sleep for his surgery. He's a very happy man and we made a difference to his life. Not because he had surgery, but because we treated the comorbidity of sleep apnea. Would you have any advice or any tips you would give to people looking at becoming a GP anaesthetist? Becoming a GP anaesthetist is becoming an anaesthetist. At the end of the day, you're an anaesthetist in a specialty that carries a significant amount of responsibility. The advantages of being a GP is that you can actually optimise your patients in the community much more effectively than, say, a consultant anaesthetist working in a big tertiary hospital. So it's the setting within which you practice anaesthesia. doesn't mean you practice a different quality of anaesthesia. You're still going to be practicing a very high quality of anaesthesia. And in fact, the College of Anaesthetists in their governance documents have changed everything to ensure that GP anaesthetists are included in the discussions. Mildura's anaesthetist capability is quite unique for a town of its size. There are four anaesthetists currently working in the town. Dr. Kumari Santi, Dr. Sana Ismail, Dr. Nicole Hunt, together with Dr. Alison Walker, provide anaesthetics across the public and private hospitals in town. Dr. Ismail is an anaesthetic consultant, and she says this team is not only helpful when responding to emergencies, it helps reduce the amount of patients who need transfers to higher care. I think it's very important to have a specialist in a rural area, small area, because often you have patients who comes with a major uh, crisis and major cases that need to be addressed immediately. So the presence of a specialist like us uh, at this Majora help the town, help the community, reduce the impact on the uh, government and the funding 
of transferring the patient from a rural area to a city and multiple zone, if you can address it and treat it. Dr Nicole Hunt is an advanced anaesthesia trainee and says the large distances from metropolitan centres and other health services in the region, as well as the cases which present here, create plenty of training opportunities. When it comes to trauma, Mildura actually gets quite a bit of trauma as well, so having specialist anaesthetists around to help facilitate trauma retrievals and management of emergency surgeries is actually quite important here because we're so far from Melbourne and Adelaide. And Sano, you're a fellow the college, is that right? Yes. What led you to Mildura here? Because you're not originally from Mildura? No, I like working in rural areas because I feel connection with the patient is there the limited number of doctors who works in, um, in a rural area is a big thing because it can affect the community. So in a multi-bulletin or a city, there is lots of doctors and patient can be addressed by anyone. But in a rural area, it's the need for a specialty and a special doctors to address it. It's lacked. So there is, as you mentioned earlier, there are some towns where they have only GP doctors who are not specialized and it affects the patient outcome. While if you have a specialized person who can address the issue and minimize the effect of the disease or treatment. optimize the treatment, uh, would be good in long term. So I enjoy it. You think on the spot, you don't have all the resources, what you're going to do? What is it? And you often find that you can come up with something that can help the patient. And the appreciation from the patient and their family is just overwhelming. Yeah, what are some of those challenges you might face when you're in a a place that is quite remote but also has limited resources compared to a tertiary care centre? So a simple thing is if you have someone who's trauma or bleeding, you are limited with amount of blood product that you have and depend on which town you are. That's really a big thing and it's a big challenge. So you don't have all the equipment, you don't have the resources, you have to communicate with uh, other places to try and get resources early, knowing that this is going to go down a difficult pathway. Uh, This is one of the things. So there's a really importance of trying to get those judgment calls done quite quickly. Yeah, and yeah. early. I think the main difference is is someone's really sick and they go to a tertiary hospital. Everyone's there and there's hundreds of people there. They've got all the resources. They can go straight to theatre, for example. In a hospital like this, you have to resuscitate the patient. You don't you can't necessarily manage everything. So you use the resources you've got, optimize patient care within the resources you've got, call the hospital in Melbourne for in this particular case to organise a transfer if you need to be. You can do life-saving surgery if you need to and then um, try and keep the patient stable until they can go to a hospital that has further resources. We do occasionally get patients that have specialised treatment. For example, we have a very good relationship with the Alfred uh, intensive care unit so they're an excellent resource that's available to our ICU and often help with organising retrievals and transfer of patients to Melbourne in a really timely manner when we need to. Nicole, how have you found the level of support from places like the Alfred when you're looking to do consults and things like that? 
The Alfred ICU is great. We have a telemedicine program, so we can actually video link directly to the Alfred from the intensive care unit. So not only can we do bedside consults, uh, they're also readily available to call if we need uh, their guidance. It depends on which speciality as to which hospital. I think with some renal patients, we call Royal Melbourne. It just depends on what the issue is. But generally speaking, the Alfred in particular with the ICU there have just it's really revolutionized ICU in Mildura Um, when I came up from Melbourne I wasn't expecting much because I have worked in places like Wangaratta and Horsham and Shepparton and other rural towns that don't have the same support as here so I was really surprised at how good the ICU nurses are and how good the ICU is actually run here and the level of care they provide because it's actually quite unusual for a hospital this size. You both mentioned how big a tertiary hospital can be and sometimes people can feel almost lost within that sort of system. What's the collegial aspect of of the medical community here in Mildura? I've quite enjoyed it. So we have four or five anaesthetics registrars and we all get to know each other quite well and we get a lot of surgical registrars up from Alfred and Royal Melbourne Um, It's quite good. We all socialise a fair bit, probably a lot more than you would routinely get uh, in a big tertiary hospital. Yeah, so I've actually made some really good friends, not just with the other registrars, but also with my uh, fellow consultants, including Dr Ismail here. So, yeah. In a small town, you know you need the support of your colleagues, so we all treat each other as a family and thus create a good social and friendly environment. Knowing that you could be in a disaster and you need someone in a drop of a hat, they will come. You also, we try in our department is to treat the registral in a nice way and to scale them up to be effective and can be independent and do things because sometimes you're not with them and if a crisis happens at midnight, by the time you come, you want them to be able to look after the patient to the best ability while you come in and give them a hand. This doesn't often happen in a tertiary hospital because the consultant often is at home and you have a registral and a senior registral and sometimes the management can be missed until the consultant arrives. How would that training experience compare to a larger centre? You know, would you get more opportunities to do more hands-on things? In my opinion, a junior registral and junior uh, doctors get more exposed to skill. They get skilled up in lots and lots of procedure here. While if they are in a tertiary hospital, they're mainly just doing uh, clerk work and history and just paperwork. So they do skill up a lot. And my advice to all the junior is to do your first year as an intern in a, in a small rural area where you can skill up and then you can go to a tertiary hospital. Tertiary hospital mainly intern just, just paperwork. By the mm-hmm. time they finish their paperwork and go to theater, the surgery has finished or it's the end of the day and then they have to go and do the round for the afternoon while here they get engaged they get scaled up and they get to do stuff how does that hands-on training experience prepare people for for their exams and following my experience from that is it's a very different experience from melbourne so i think the benefit of being up here and particularly having someone like sana to help out is that 
I've been able to do a lot of vivas and we've had time where we get prepared for theatre and we run efficiently and we often have time in theatre because it's a bit more relaxed environment. It's not quite as highly strung. Like, it still gets busy. But that sort of environment means that I feel very comfortable getting teaching and getting critiqued and doing practice exams up here. And you do get a little bit more time because it only takes me five minutes to drive from work to the hospital as well. So I'm not spending an hour and a half getting to and from work after work every day. So it's a much more relaxed environment and it puts you in a better sort of frame of mind to be able to actually learn things and you've got time to exercise as well. And overall, I actually find learning for exams actually easier in a rural environment, even though a lot of people have said to me, you should always study for exams in a tertiary hospital. But I think if as long as you've got a reasonable knowledge base to start off with, I think in terms of time management, often doing it rurally is actually better. I guess that lifestyle consideration is a big factor in, in looking at a career out here in the regions. And also in a rural area, you have certain limited number of registrar where you can focus on them in a tertiary hospital. You could have 30 or 20 registrar where some of them will be missing in action or they got lost in the system because they're Boston call or whatever and no one really look at them. While if you have five people and one is missing, you will know there is only four. Where's the fourth one? Where's the fifth one? And you can give them a task. And because the number of the consultant is limited, you can't just rely on other people to teach them. You know it's your duty of care to teach them. Is there any advice you would give someone that's looking at potentially studying anaesthetics or looking at rural medicine? I have so many medical students who actually gone and done their anaesthetic because they've done rotation with me and I encourage them. The thing is, you have to let them trust themselves. You have to find a way for them to enjoy the rotation. If they just sit and do nothing or observe, they lose interest. If they put hand on and they start practicing, they get more engaged and they eventually love it. I have about three people who has actually chose anesthetic as a career. I have an ICU nurse who left ICU to do medicine after she's worked with me. And I have a paramed actually who went and done anesthetic. So I'm quite confident I can help them and not brainwash them, but <laughs> just show them because anesthetic is one of the career that's behind the scene. Nobody knows what is it, but it's actually can affect patient life. So if you can keep the airway open, if you can make sure that the patient is oxygenated, even if they have a cardiac arrest, they're still going to be functioning. But if you don't have that skill, then the effect on the brain is high and the outcome is bad. I think anaesthetics is an extremely rewarding career. I mean, even just things like doing an epidural for a woman in labour and seeing the pain relief they get from that and even and doing I actually really enjoy doing cesareans because I get to look after the mum while they're having a baby and you just get this amazing gift at the end of it and it just makes you really appreciate life and it's really rewarding and enjoyable to see people get through those sort of experiences and to be the doctor that looks after them at such an important time in their life. Thanks to our guests for this episode. You can find out more about study and training opportunities in anaesthesia across regional Victoria by visiting monash.edu forward slash medicine forward slash SRH. This episode was part of a series of conversations with doctors in regional Victoria. 
There's more episodes available, including an episode where we talk to psychiatrists about the unique opportunities of working and training regionally in a specialty that can be entirely completed outside metropolitan centres. You can hear more by subscribing on your podcast app of choice. The Northwest Victoria and Gippsland Regional Training Hubs have commissioned this podcast to help medical students and junior doctors learn more about training and practicing in regional Victoria. There are hubs all across the country. To find out where your nearest regional training hub is, visit the link in the episode show notes or just search regional training hubs. And finally, this podcast was brought to you by Monash Rural Health, presented by Patrick Laverick, that's me, and it was made possible by funding from the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Program at the Commonwealth Department of Health.